0: Amen. Good morning. Take your Bibles and open to the Luke's Gospel in chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. If this is your first Sunday with us, you've come on a special Sunday. We are contemplating this morning the cross of Christ. On the Sunday before Easter, we celebrate what's known as Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection Here on Palm Sunday, we are going to talk about and remember the cross of Jesus Christ. I did a little research this week because having grown up at Second Baptist Church, being here since 1988, and then being gone for a little while between 1996 and 2012, I couldn't remember the last time our church had observed the Lord's Supper on a Sunday morning, and so I began to ask some folks who've been here longer than me, who've been here for quite some time, and nobody could tell me the last time our church had observed the Lord's Supper on a Sunday morning. It gets a little bit more difficult, a little more complicated on Sunday morning, a much bigger crowd than on Sunday evening, so typically this is a Sunday night thing, but I'm grateful today to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper and commemorate the cross of Jesus Christ with you on Palm Sunday right here. I want you to know when Jesus spoke to his disciples before, before he ascended to heaven, he gave two rituals or ordinances that the church should continually observe. Now, the word ritual for us sometimes has a negative connotation. We don't want to get caught into doing church as we've always done. We don't want to get caught with meaningless rituals. And that's important that we don't get caught up in meaningless rituals or tradition. But these things that Jesus gave to His church and the disciples are not meaningless. They are significant. The the first is the initial rite or ritual of the believer, and that is baptism. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, as he's ascending to heaven, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says the initial rite of a believer, the initial ritual of a believer is baptism. And so what that means is after salvation, your first step of obedience its what's known as believer's baptism. That is baptism. By immersion after conversion. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus told his disciples and the church, that's you and that's me, when we come to Christ, we observe that ordinance of baptism. There's another ordinance, that the, the Bible, that Jesus passed on to you and to me. And that is the ordinance or the ritual of the Lord's Supper, communion. Jesus says there as they celebrate Passover in the upper room, the last supper, he's saying to his disciples, to you and to me, do this in remembrance of me. Notice what he says, as often as you will, do this in remembrance of me. Baptism is the initial rite of the believer. It's that first step of obedience. Communion, observing the Lord's Supper, is the continual rite or ritual of a believer. How often should we do it? You talk to most Baptists and they'll say quarterly. It's in the Bible somewhere. You know, we do it quarterly. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it every month. The Bible does not prescribe how often we should partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus says to his disciples, do this as often as you will, but when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it interesting, if you'll note, baptism, what does it do? It points to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does communion do? Communion reminds us of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. Communion forces us to look back to the death of Christ, to look in in contemplation of our hearts and our lives in terms of our relationship with God, to look up in worship to the Lord, and to look forward to a day when all of us will gather around a table in heaven. That's what we're doing here today. I want you to read with me Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20, as you will see on Passover night, the last supper Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper or communion. Luke chapter 22, begin reading with me in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. That's how they ate. They would recline. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And and, and he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. By the way, aren't you glad we don't do that today? If we had just had one big cup, I I would want to be first and not last, right? (laughs) For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant of my blood. Remember this morning, the powers is in the perfect word of God. If you'll notice in the Bible... We see many different words to describe the work of Christ upon the cross. The Bible tells us that not only did Jesus Christ partake in the Passover meal and the feast with his disciples, he was a Jew, he would have followed that tradition and that ritual. But here he institutes a new supper, communion for his followers and his believers to partake in as well. The Bible uses many words to describe Christ's work upon the cross. Many different ways His work is described. It's described as a substitution. It is a substitutionary atonement. It means, the substitution means that, that the death of one on behalf of many, Christ was our substitute. It's described as a sacrifice, the shedding of His blood, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. A sacrifice that covers and cleanses sin. It's described as a ransom paying the price to set us free from the slavery of sin and from sin's penalty. It's described as redemption paying the price so that we might be released from the chains of sin. And the Bible describes it as a propitiation, an interesting word we don't use much. But it's important for us to understand that Bible word, propitiation. Do you know what it means? It means that Christ's death on the cross not only paid the price for our sin, but it satisfied God's just wrath against sinners. So not only did Jesus pay our debt, but he satisfied the wrath of God and took the judgment that we were due. There's a theological word called expiation. It's very similar to propitiation. It's the removing of sin by being punished and paying the penalty. So Jesus not only forgave us on the cross, but He removed the debt that was against us and He nailed it to His cross. That's what He did on the cross. It's described as an atonement. Atonement, where two parties being reconciled by the making of amends. By the full satisfaction of the penalty, so the offense is removed and the relationship is restored. Did you hear that? The atonement means that the enmity between God and man, the great gulf that was fixed between us, has now been spanned by the bridge of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that He, by His death on the cross, made a way for righteous God and sinful man to be reconciled. His atonement means the offense is removed and that relationship can be restored. All of these words point us back to the work of Christ on the cross. And all of this is what the Lord's Supper does. It reminds us of redemption. It reminds us of atonement. It reminds us of the ransom. It reminds us of His sacrifice. And here in Luke 22, we need to ask the question, what does the Lord want us to know? What does He teach us regarding His life and His death. What does the Lord's Supper teach us? Notice first of all in verses 14 and 15 we see preparation. Preparation. There is preparation that goes into the Lord's Supper. Like many of you when you have a big family meal, maybe you're going to have a family reunion or maybe it's Thanksgiving dinner, there's a lot of work that goes in to hosting all the family. There's a lot of work that goes into cooking the turkey and all the fixings, and, and, you know, it's really, really important who's making the sweet potato souffle, and who's making the caramel cake, and who's making all the desserts and all that good stuff, right? Who's bringing the mac and cheese, and, and, and who's making the green beans? Everything has to be planned out. Now, I don't know if you know, but a lot of work goes into the preparation to partake in communion this morning. Our deacons were here very early this morning planning and preparing and pouring the juice in the cups and making sure the bread was divided properly and and making sure that every row and every section is accounted for so every person can have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. We've planned this service strategically and specifically for this day. So much preparation goes into it. But beyond that, what's happening here today, I want to talk about the preparation that happened right here in the Gospel of Luke in the life of Christ. What are the disciples doing that night? I want you to think about this in terms of an Old Testament Jew, not a New Testament believer. They are coming to observe the Passover. You do know that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain during the time of Passover. That was not a mistake. And here they come together to partake in the Passover feast, but Jesus institutes something new for those who follow him, for the church of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you briefly about how the Passover lamb had to be prepared. If you'll remember, the Passover was to commemorate... The Jews being set free from Egyptian slavery by the death angel passing over the homes that were, that were sprinkled or where the blood was applied. Every home where the the blood was applied to the lintel and the doorpost, every home where the blood was applied, the the death angel passed over that home. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So the Jews celebrated the Passover. That was the last and final plague before they were delivered from Egypt. Think about the Passover. We don't have time to talk about it in entirety this morning, but the unleavened bread of the Passover would remind them of the swiftness of redemption. There was not even time to make bread before they left. They just had to gather everything and go. The bowl of salt water reminds them of the tears of their captivity. The bitter herbs of the bitterness of their slavery. The paste that they would make would remind them of the day they used to make bricks in the midst of their bondage. All of this is going into the Passover. But did you know that there was as much preparation for the Passover for the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, as there was for the Passover Lamb in the Old Testament. Think about what the Bible tells us regarding the death of Christ. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. So that when God sees we've been forgiven and set free, when he sees that our hearts and our lives, the blood has been applied, he says that his judgment will pass over us and we will not be condemned. We will not receive the death that we deserve. It's interesting to me that Jesus says in verse 15 to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's looking forward to this. He's prepared. He's not shrinking back from dying on the cross for sins. He says to them, I've earnestly desired this. This is why he came. We're going to walk through this quickly, but there are several things I want you to see. First of all, he was beaten. Luke chapter 22, verse 63 and 64. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? He was beaten. He was scourged. To be scourged means to be severely beaten with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of metal and bone. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 26, they released for him Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, they delivered him to be crucified. He was spit upon. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 30. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. He was mocked. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 29. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was spit upon. He was mocked. His beard was plucked out. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. He was stripped Matthew chapter 27 and verse 35 tells us, And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them. And there at the foot of the cross, they cast lots for the garments of Jesus Christ. He was nailed to a cruel cross and executed. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38 tells us, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left the Bible tells us in John 19 and 34, he was pierced. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came blood and water. How could Jesus look at his disciples and say, knowing everything that would come, I've earnestly desired to take this meal with you before I suffer? How could he, without any sense of Fear without any hesitation say I've been looking forward to this Because his suffering was not wasted It was not an accident It was God's eternal plan from the very beginning And Romans tells us in Romans 5 and verses 8 through 11 But God shows his love for us And that we was, while we were still sinners Christ died for us Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood Much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, the price that Christ paid for us on the cross, our redemption. We've been set free see and feel the preparation. Christ was perfectly prepared for that moment like that Passover lamb would be prepared. Not only preparation, expectation. Verses 16 through 18. We need to see this in its proper focus. For in the Lord's table, we find not only a remembrance of His death, we find also a promise of His return. Do you hear that? We find here at this table not only remembrance of his death, but a promise of his return. See, the Bible tells us, verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He looks at his disciples and there promises them, one day we will do this again. In other words, this is a promise that we observe the Lord's Supper not just every once in a while here at church on this earth, but we will continue to do this and proclaim His death and His resurrection and His life. One commentator says the Lord's promise to drink with the disciples in that future kingdom was another assurance to them of His return, an assurance that would take on an intensified meaning after His death resurrection and ascension. Then the Bible tells us he took a cup and when he given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the, look at this, until the kingdom of God comes. This supper is something of an eternal ordinance. Do I know what it's going to look like one day in heaven? I have no idea. I know the Bible tells us that we'll gather around a table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I know that that means there'll be Krispy Kreme in heaven. Beyond that, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I know that it means that one day we will gather together and... Remember the sacrifice of Christ. Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. Listen to what's said here. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Look, blessed is everyone who'll eat bread in the kingdom of God. No Atkins diet in heaven. That's what I get from that. Some of you who've done that before can say amen. Here he says there's a promise that something better Is coming, so we need to see and feel the hope. So I want you to understand as we come to the table, as we contemplate the death of Christ, we look back in remembrance of what he has done, his death upon the cross. But remember, it didn't stop there. The story is not finished with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not even finished with his resurrection, which we'll celebrate next Sunday and we celebrate every single day. The story's not even done with His ascension. The story continues with His soon coming so that we might be reconciled with Him for all of eternity. And that's the promise. So when we come to this table, we look back, but we look forward to the promise of God. There's preparation, expectation, and then there's proclamation. We see this in verses 19 through 20. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11:26. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Did you hear that? You proclaim the gospel. When we come this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper as the family of God at Second Baptist Church, we come proclaiming His death, proclaiming the gospel. That we've been set free by our Passover lamb that was slain for us. The word proclaim in 1 Corinthians 11:26, it's it's the word translated preach 10 out of 17 times it's used in the New Testament. So what does it mean? What are we preaching when we come together to take the Lord's Supper? Do you know what we're preaching? We proclaim that Christ died for our sins and for the sins of all humanity. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who is the only way to heaven. We proclaim that He alone shed His blood for our sins upon the cross and His blood is sufficient to save, to forgive, to cleanse the very worst of sinners. We proclaim that Jesus saves, that he rescues, that he redeems. And I want you to notice in verse 19 and verse 20 how personal and how profound this is. Jesus says, as he looks at his disciples, he took bread and when he would given it thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body. Look at these last few words. This is my body, listen, which is given for you you see that? Verse 20, he says to them as well, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, this cup is poured out, this is the new covenant of my blood. It is given for you. Think about that. As Jesus, reclining at the table, looks at his disciples, even the one, Judas, who is the betrayer, He says, This is for you. Listen, it's for you. And you, and you, and you, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's for me, it's for those who think that they can never be forgiven. It's for those who think that they've already gone too far. It's for those who've been so religious their whole lives and then finally understand that self-righteousness cannot save. It's for those who come in childlike faith to the cross of Jesus Christ in repentance and confession. It's for you. It's for you, those who've made a mess of their lives and think there's really no hope. Jesus can be your hope. It's for those who are broken and those who are wounded and those who are sad and those who are afflicted and those who don't know anything else. My body, my blood, given for you. So today we do not come to to get from a preacher or a musician or a choir We don't come to get, right? Biblically speaking, I want you to understand corporate worship is always the function of the body of Christ coming together to give God honor and glory. We get it backwards when we start to think what we're getting out of this. We come to give God glory and honor. So in the Lord's table, we don't come to get as much as we come to give, not only in our worship, but also our testimony. And I want to read this text to you as a caution and a warning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 through verse 32. Paul is talking to a church that was messed up, having all kinds of problems, especially when it came to the Lord's Supper. He says, let a person examine himself. That's talking about us before we do this. You hear me? It's talking about us before we do this. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Another translation says eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. Drinks judgment upon himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is why in just a moment before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have an invitation. Because the Bible says we need to examine ourselves. We don't want... To come to this table in an unworthy manner. Does it mean you'll be perfect? Absolutely not. But it means you'll be right with God and with others. It means that everyone who partakes of the Lord's Supper needs to be a professing follower of Jesus Christ. You don't take the juice and the bread as a sacrament that somehow makes you holy or makes you a part of God's family. You take it as an ordinance in remembrance of what Christ has done and remembering your own salvation.